a Bible or a device, so you'll be looking at the passages with us this morning. We're going to begin in Colossians chapter 3. If you haven't been with us before, um, we, we tend to work through books just kind of chapter by chapter, week after week, um, over the course of weeks or months or however long it takes us um, to maneuver through it. So we've been in Colossians now for a few weeks, and we'll begin chapter 3. Um, as a little bit of recap, last week, um, chapter 2 ended really with a warning. Um, Paul is writing the church in Colossae, a church that he has not visited, he did not plant. He's writing it from prison, and but he's encouraging them. It's a young church, probably less than 10 years old. Mostly everything has been very positive, but um, in their community, um, they're on a major kind of highway, byway. There's a lot of um, different teachings and thought that have come through, and there are some false teachers that are emerging, and he is attempting to warn them um, about that teaching, attempting to, to make sure they are aware of where they need to anchor in and root in and where they need to be on guard. And so really, the end of chapter 2 is somewhat... Um, heavy and a little bit negative as he is reminding them, listen, these false teachers, um, they're built on man's ideas. These things are built on deceit. Um, They're empty. Ultimately, that self-made religion, although it has the appearance of wisdom, right? It can look good on the outside to be kind of a legalist at at heart. Um, It's powerless to actually affect um, transformation. It's powerless to affect our lives. And so it can have the appearance of wisdom, but it actually lacks any power. Um, And that we don't want to focus on the shadows, right, of the Old Testament. We want to focus on the substance that has been revealed in Jesus, right? The the shadows of the Old Testament, like the, the priestly system or the temple, these things were pointing, were foreshadowing to the hidden reality that would be revealed in Jesus. And so there's much to be learned from the Old Testament as it is pointing us and helping us to more clearly understand the significance of who Jesus is and what He's done. But there is a temptation to want to go back and put rules and law and to re-enslave ourselves to the, to the shadow rather than to the substance that is Jesus. And so He reminds them, listen, you're free to abstain from certain food and drink. You're free to not celebrate certain holidays. He said, but you cannot impose this upon someone else, right? You can't, you can't force this upon them. And so he's wrestling with these, this false teaching, and we ended there. And really, if, if um, now in chapter 3, as we begin this morning, you'll see that it is really a continuation of a thought. Of a thought. So let's pick up in verse 1. We have the word if, right? If, then with all that we just talked about in mind, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." So I want us to look back quickly at verse 20 of chapter 2. As he leads into the kind of the false teaching um, conversation, he says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Right? He's saying, 
So listen, if you died as Christ died, then the things of the world don't grip you the same any longer. He now picks up that argument in verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And so what we've seen is that, that Paul is really um, writing with this idea of, of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That in, in his death, those who are in Christ this morning have also died. And that in his resurrection, that we have the promise of hope of resurrection. Like he is tying our union with Jesus into these two ideas and saying when you are considering how you're going to fight false teaching and how you're going to walk in, in a way that is a manner that is worthy of Jesus, it is tied to the death of Jesus and it's tied to the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's in large part why we celebrate the, the baptism the way that we do, right? That we are buried with him in the likeness of his death and that we are raised to walk in new life. This is the idea that Paul is really fleshing out here in Colossians. And so he's going to look at our status, right? And when I say that, like, what is our standing before God in the past, currently, and in the future? So look at verse 3 where we'll see our past status. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He's saying church. He's writing to believers here. So he's saying, listen, in the past, right, because of the death of Jesus, you too have died. That this morning, right, the most real death that you will have ever faced has already occurred if you're in Christ this morning. It's why we can say that we don't have to fear death in the same manner as those who don't yet trust in Jesus. Because the death of death was the death of Christ. And that your death, the, the painful um, pulling apart of the flesh, right, that has been kind of that, that imagery of circumcision in chapter 2 that is bloody and it's painful and it's uncomfortable even to talk about, right? He says that was the death of Jesus, where his body was broken, humiliated, killed, destroyed on our behalf. He's like, your death happened there because he was dying as a substitute for you in your place, right? To restore, to redeem, to bring you back to the Father. Ultimately, that is the death that matters for us. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's saying, listen, you can lose your fear of death. Then now what death means is death is simply a door where your faith will be made sight. Because God has been appeased in the death of Jesus on your behalf for those who love and trust and treasure Jesus. And he uses this phrase, and so now, because of this, because you've died as Jesus has died, right? Your life is hidden with him. There's already been this conversation of hiddenness so far in the letter, where he has tried to help them understand all the mystery of God, of how was he going to redeem the world? How was he going to rescue the world? How was he going to do these things that were promised throughout centuries in the Old Testament, right? Are found in the person the work, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Right? The mystery of God was, re re was revealed, was no longer hidden when Jesus stepped in to the world. He now uses the same word to say, listen, listen, our lives are hidden in Christ. And he's using kind of a, a, a double meaning here. In one, he's simply saying it's hidden as it's secure. 
Right? Listen to Psalm 27, verse 5, of this imagery here. For He, meaning God, will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The idea that you see often throughout the Psalms is this, is of God like wrapping His arm around us and holding us. John 10 will say that we are secure in His strong hand, that nothing can remove us. And the image here that we have of our life being hidden with Christ is of a young child, right, who's in, a, in, in the moment is uncomfortable. And what do they do? They go behind their father's leg, right? And they grab on and they, might, and they peer around. And kind of what they're saying in that moment is this is the safest place I can imagine, right? My father is between whatever I think you might be and me. And so I'm safe and I'm secure. And we, and we can laugh at the, at the cuteness of that, but we know for that young child, like that is a significant moment, right? And, and often what they're doing in that is they're pulling on you and they're saying, hold me, right? Pick me up. Like, you hide me. You keep me. Church, God is hiding us. We are safe and secure in Him. It is His strong and mighty hand, His arm, His leg that is holding us and saying, I've got you. Whatever is out there, Right, Whatever it is that you're fearful of, you're secure in me. Your life is hidden with me. And there is nothing that this world can do or threaten to do that can remove you from me. You are secure and you are hidden. The second idea here, though, is not just that we are secure in, in, in the word hidden, is that we are also, our truest self, our truest reality is going to be revealed someday. Right, like that we continue post-salvation, right, post-rescue by Jesus, then to live in the world. Right? Paul will write in Ephesians 2 right, that the dead have like life breathed into them. And yet to the watching world, you don't look really different. Now obviously as we are transformed and look more Christ-like, right, people could go, hey, you're, you're different in the way you think or talk or act or behave. But your body doesn't look different. At the cross, right, again, the plan of God felt hidden because it looked like Jesus lost. It looked like this great one was crushed and crucified and killed. And the disciples, right, there, they go in fear until Jesus is resurrected. Then we see that it, that wasn't a loss, that was a victory. Meant to shame the powers of the world. There will be a day where your truest self and your truest reality, that you, the one in you that you don't have to fear death and that you know you're secure regardless of a medical diagnosis, regardless of relationship status, regardless of having prestige or not, money or not, because you're secure in the hand of God, will be revealed to the world. It's almost like this, this kind of like mic drop moment. Right? Verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Because it rolls into now verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, we go into the future, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Right? That's the, that's the mic drop moment. That when Jesus returns, we will be seen as to having belonged to Him. That we are sons and daughters of the conquering King who just split the sky and let everyone know who He was. And that He's in charge. And His knees are bowing in fear and out of um, awe, 
And out of concern, before what they see, there will be others who will say, we know him. He's ours. And we belong to him. Right? And it will be revealed that we were his. Right? And so you are continuing to maneuver through this world, hidden, secure in his hand, but also hidden to the fact that you belong to him to the watching world. It's veiled to some extent. You're aware of it. Others aren't. And yet there is vindication that it's coming. Um, that, you, that you will be revealed that you belong, that He is true, that you are victorious, and that glory is yours eternally and not shame because the conquering King has returned. The, the imagery here is, right, is, is, is this idea of folks in the battlefield. right, And they're weary and they're fatigued. And then where it feels like as you're watching the movie um, that maybe they're going to actually be overrun. Then it comes to that, was, that, that outcome was never in doubt as the, as the conquering king comes over the hill. right? And it rallies the souls of the troops and those that cause they look up and they're like, oh, we're about to overwhelm them. Because look who's here. And, right, and there's just this like soaring triumphant moment right, where the battle is won. The conquering king has arrived. And so there's a, an aspect of this where Paul is really inviting us into the fray, saying, knowing that that is our reality, that the conquering king is coming, that your death has already been paid for, so that your death in this life is simply a door into your faith becoming sight. Because you're secure in that, would you enter the fray of this life in this world for however long God would have you? Listen to how John writes this. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, right? But there's, there's a veil on that. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we will know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Saying, listen, we know it to be true, but there's still a veil on it now. There will be a day where that veil will be gone. Nothing will be hidden anymore. It will be revealed in all of its glory for all of eternity. Right? He's, he's anchoring our souls in this. Because this is our reality. This is our hope. Right? That day is coming. It is. Saying, will you continue to engage in this world? Right? He's writing to a church who's under Rome. This tyrannical, powerful, not God-loving government. And he's saying, listen, this is difficult, but that day is coming. So live now as one who belongs to Jesus. I want to read something briefly to you. Around roughly 400 A.D., the Archbishop of Constantinople was having a conversation uh, with the Byzantine Empress. She was frustrated that he was um, resisting her authority. And here was the exchange that happened. Um, she threatened to, to scare him off, to follow um, what she wanted as the religious kind of leader with banishing him. And he responds, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. So I will kill you, says the Empress. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God, said John. I will take away your treasures. Once again, no, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven, 
and my heart is there. For I will drive you away from your friends, and you will have no one left. Again, no, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Right? Like that mindset. Listen, could she kill him? Yes. Can she banish him? Yes. Can he, she do those things in a worldly sense? Yes. What he realized, though, was his life was hidden and secure in God. That is what Paul is driving at here. There is nothing this world can do to touch us. Because the Lord is in control. He is sovereign and He is good. And our eternal um, reality is far more real than this temporal one. Right? That, is, that is what he's driving at here. So he has said, because we have died with Christ, because we have a future hope of Him returning. Now let's look at the present. This is verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've believed this, if you've trusted this, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. He has anchored us so far in chapters 1 and 2 in the beauty and the depth of Jesus. He has warned them against the false teachers. And now he is um, reminding them that they are to live obedient, pleasing lives to God. Not to gain their salvation, but because there's real power. There's real strength available for those who are in Christ. And so live in light of that church. We need to give a quick warning here. The verses 1 and 2. Um, have been used by some throughout history to detach from this life, right? They've, they've become of so, such a heavenly mind that they're of no earthly good, is the way the saying went, right? They're like, I want to have my mind so focused on God that they completely pull out of this life and from reality. That, that's actually heresy. It's not a, a teaching from Scripture. God has us here in this life for a reason around other people in in physical world. If if that's not what he would have for us, he would remove us and take us straight to heaven. He's not asking us to to become monks here, to remove ourselves to be only spiritually minded people who have no relationships or no dealings in this world. Instead, what he's telling us is I want you to seek the things of God and I I want you to set your mind on them. This means that we are active in pursuing Jesus, knowing that we will be transformed, and that as we are transformed, that we will begin to see an effect on those around us, because we are looking more like Jesus, we are connected to His power, and right, we have His grace and mercy and strength in mind. In Matthew 6, familiar passage, verse 33, We see this. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The idea here is that if we are living in light of the fact of the day that Jesus will split the sky, if we are connected to the vine, if we are being transformed into His image, then the way that we live in this current reality looks different than those who are enslaved to the prince of this world. It will look different, and it will have impact, and it will have faithfulness, and it will make legitimate difference. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2, to the church in Philippi, beginning in verse 3. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? Do you hear the countercultural, right? Like to think of others more than yourself. Nothing in our culture or society would say that. Right? To have humility is not what our culture is built on. To do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He is saying that if we are in Christ, that we will think, act, live, talk, and look different. And that it will be the kingdom of God breaking forth into this world. It will be a glimpse of heaven on this world until that reality becomes the only reality. It allows us to live in the here and now in light of our eternal promises and our eternal status. What the false teachers were doing was they were saying, hey, I want to live, I want to, I'm in this world, I want to try to get to the heavenly realms. And so they're trying to have visions, they're, they're um, being, a, a, like putting their body through rigorous things. They're trying to be so religious that they get to the heavenly realms. What Paul is telling us this morning, church, is this. You're already in the heavenly realms. Like that is your status. That is where your death has been done because it was in the, the death of Christ. Your resurrection is done. Death simply means that you walk into the presence of the Lord forever where you belong. That is your reality. So, let the implications of that bleed over into this life for as long as you're here. For as many years as the Lord would give you, regardless of the circumstances that you have. Which means, as you think as you're, of yourself this morning, as, as, if you're a mom, a dad, a friend, a grandparent, a neighbor, the fact that Jesus is returning for us has implications for your life. Right? Like, that in being faithful in those relationships, you are pleasing and worshiping and honoring Jesus. As you are present as a husband or a wife, as you're present with your grandkids, as you're present at work, as you're present with your children, whatever it is, like as you're being attentive and aware and knowing them and being present, you are, you are reflecting the image of God who says, I want to know you. Right? Like you are saying, I want to be like Jesus. In a world where we so often are striving to do what's best for us, everyone else be damned, right? Like we, won't, we don't say that, but that's just kind of the mentality that's played out there to, to slow down and to be present with people, to look at them, to see them, to hear them, right? Is, is a Jesus who ate with sinners, who was present with the least of these, who slowed down and engaged people Giving people a place to belong is reflective of the fact that God has given us a place to belong. As we discipline those around our, our children, right, that we are reminded that God disciplines those He loves, that He is our good Father, right? Like It's beginning to, to set our minds on the fact that everything we do has eternal consequence. It has a way of either honoring and showing that we are trusting God or that we're living very carnally and not. That in every moment of life, we have this opportunity to, to honor and worship, or we are doing our thing in our way that is saying we don't trust God. 
kids and teenagers, right? Even in learning to submit to parents who are not perfect, right? Like it, it's a one of the things we tell our kids all the time is, listen, I'm trying to be the best dad I can, and I need you to learn to trust me and to submit even when you don't like it. Why? Because there will be a day where God's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. And I want you to trust that you can submit to him, that he's good, and that you're the one that's wrong in that moment if you don't want to do it, right? Like, you're not seeing things rightly, that God is faithful to us. Because we're patient and we show grace that we are the receivers of patience from a God who is not quick to anger, who is gracious and merciful to us. You think about the situation at work, that if you go in and you work with energy and effort and integrity, you have an awareness of people, the good work ethic, like that you're honoring God because you're not working for the boss that may be good or may not be. But you're working because God is watching. Right? That He's given you the knowledge, the skills, the ability that you have. And you're able to please Him, whether your earthly boss ever gives you any credit or not, any approval or not, any raise or not. Right? That ultimately you are honoring God in your faithfulness in that. Right? It's a different mindset that we are setting our minds on things above that God sees and is a rewarder of those things. That He cares for us. In politics, right? that we can both agree that politics has real potential to transform people's lives and situations in this world. Like it really can do that. that with the, the systems and, and the, the plans and the organization, it can have tremendous benefit. But it's temporal, Right? And so we have to look at it as it's short-term. And so we want to have eternal benefit. And so we don't disengage from anything that has short-term benefit, but we see the limitations of it. And so we don't hold it as tight. We don't become as bitter and as embroiled and as angry about it because it's temporary. In its best, it's temporary. And in its worst, it's temporary. But there is a kingdom that is eternal, so we set our minds on the things of God, the things of Christ, and we remind ourselves of that, that there is a kingdom that is coming where there is sufficient for all. And there's a place of belonging for all. And there is peace for all. And tears will be wiped away for all. Right? Because we have a king, a God, who will be where he belongs with his people. And we'll be with him for all time. In our leisure, Right? and our hobbies, that we, as we enjoy them and savor them and celebrate, that they are simply a foretaste of a more glorious celebration. That God has made us to, to enjoy things and to see and to savor. But ultimately, it's not in, in those. It's, those are a shadow. That we taste and see that the Lord is good. That He is sufficient. That He is enough. And we have gratitude and we invite people who are celebrating around us into an even better celebration, into a better feast, into a better hope, into a better enjoyment. Church, this morning, God is honored and you're living well. And He's going to continue in chapter 3 into just the implications of this in relationships, in different situations, in different scenarios. And it is a hidden reality. It's a veiled reality to many around us, but it is a pleasing, worshipful thing to God when you live well. It does not save you. It does not earn you favor. It is simply saying, I know to whom I belong. I want to look like Him.
and I'm being transformed by him. It doesn't have the appearance of wisdom as the false teaching does. It is wise. We live in light of our truest moment, and we put in, real, we put in the work towards real treasures, things that will last, which are not money, right? which are not things that moth will destroy, time will destroy, but is into relationships and people pursuing and knowing God. If you doubt that, consider the life of Jesus. Who could have sought power and prestige and riches, right? And was often mocked for having not done that. But what was the truest reality was that everything is actually his. It's all his. It was all his. But there was this veil around his life on earth where he would pull away for a while and meet with the Lord. And then he would minister to people, right? There was this beautiful balance of those things. And when he was accused of, you could get more, you could have more, you could do more, he knew what was true. And so listen, there may be that you could have more stuff, more prestige, more money, more things, but in living in light of heaven, with your mind set on things above, not on this earth, right? Like we can live knowing we left some meat on the bone in this life because we have all of eternity. Right? We knew where our treasure actually was. The false teachers were feigning spirituality. Right? They were boasting of their visions and saying, you should be more spiritual like me. But they were actually being worldly because they were trying to be someone here by using their spirituality to lord over others. And saying, listen, you should be more spiritual like me, so I want you to think more of me. They were boasting in the thing that they were saying was getting them closer to Jesus. Right? Where what Paul is saying is you can just live. You can just live. You don't have to be someone. You can just be faithful. And God sees and knows and will honor and reward and will say, well done, good and faithful servant, that you lived in light of eternity, not in light of 80 years. Listen, do not hear me say this morning that if you get extended time away with the Lord, that's not a good thing. It is a good thing. When you have time, take it. But I also want to encourage moms right now and people working 80 hours a week that God sees that and He's really gracious. Right? If you're tired and you're weary because you're raising kids or you're raising grandchildren or you're working a lot or your family, extended family, has a ton of drama right now or there's health concerns or issues, that the Lord sees that and is not going, you haven't given me my hour yet today. So I can give nothing good to you. Right? Like that's, that's not who He is. He is faithful and kind and good. And so we celebrate our time with Him. We enjoy it. But we can also honor and worship Him in the most mundane moments of life by having our minds set on things above and living in light of that. So a couple practical things to end. We can begin our day every day, whether it is a short period or a long period, just beginning to kind of set like, Jesus, today is yours. And maybe I don't have an hour because there's kids in the other room screaming at me already. But God, I want to be present in their life today because you've been present in mine. I want to discipline well when I have to because I know I'm going to have to. 
because you've been good to discipline me. And it wasn't punitive, it was corrective, it was redemptive, and it was restorative. God, help me to have my mind set on that today. Um, as I don't already want to be up. Right? Like, man, I know my boss is going to be a jerk today. God, help me to work with a heart towards you. I don't have to please man, but I can please you. Right? Like, we just set our mind quickly, right? And if we get extended time, we celebrate in it. But we, 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 we set our mind, and we do it through the Spirit and through the Word and through His people. Right, that we're taking it in, that we're knowing the promises of God, that we're knowing the big character and, and characteristics and ideas of Scripture that can begin to reorient our heart and our mind around the things of God, regardless of our circumstances. In the in-between moments of your day, right, in between clients, in between conversations, in the car, right, where we can begin to so often just try to veg out for a second. That we begin to we thank God for what's already happened. We we ask for wisdom about what's to come. So often in my day, what this looks like is there's very little time between point A and point B, and then point B and point C and point, and then I, I like fall into bed at night. But I'm trying to take moments in between and say, okay, God, like I don't I don't want to just bring good old boy West Texas wisdom into this. I want it to be from you. Would you guide me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you remind me that I am not king? that I am not Savior, that people don't need me, they need me. Would you remind me of the sufficiency of your Word and your Spirit to already be ministering and preparing? Right? Like it, and those can be as I'm walking in the door somewhere. But it's a, a way for me to set my mind on things above, not on this world. Maybe as you're changing diapers or cooking supper, Right, for what feels like the 700th year in a row, right, with the same six meals, and you, like, you're frustrated because you can't think of another thing to make, and you're, but that's what you're doing. And as you're sitting there and, and, you're, and frustration wants to rise or exasperation or whatever, so you just begin to think of other moms or dads or grandparents or neighbors who are in that same situation, and you just begin to pray blessing over them. Right? And you're reminded that God is faithful and that He sees you whether what you're doing in that moment feels significant or not. that it is. Maybe you're thanking Him for what it is that you're lacking right now. I have no patience left with my kids, right? That's what you're thinking. Oh, but God, I'm a fool too. And you've been so patient with me. Right? Like that is set in your mind, right? It's, it's seeking, it's doing something to say, this isn't what's most real you are. And we begin to just build these habits and these thoughts and these ideas into our day, into our moment, into our week. And Hebrews 11 says that there were those prior to Christ who poured out their lives on behalf of God because they had their eyes set on a better city, on a heavenly place. That's Hebrews 11:16. They had their eyes set somewhere that they didn't yet really know. Church, that's what Paul is telling us. There's a day coming where this reality goes away and the more true eternal reality comes. So we live in light of that day in the midst of this day. For the glory of God and for the good of those around us. And we will continue in chapter 3 in the weeks to come to see what that looks like in, in specific individual ways, situations, relationships, and circumstances. We want to have the heart behind it first. That we are anchored and that in our death was the death of Christ. Right? Like the death of Christ 
of our death. And he's returning for us. And in the meantime, we get to live by the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that for many in this room, our lives are hidden with you. They are secure. They're in your hands. And God, that for those who don't yet know you, Lord, that you are gracious and you are kind. And Lord, would you even now be calling their name and saying, come, find that my death was sufficient for you. Find that my life is sufficient for you. Find that my resurrection is sufficient for you. God, would they see that they're known and that there's a place of belonging, that they're loved and they can be connected through no merit of their own, but simply through Jesus. God, would you lift each of our chins this morning to see you more clearly? God, would you already through your Spirit be giving us eyes to see where we have moments in our day to gain a little more Scripture from you, a little more prayer with you? Um, God, not so that we can feel better about our week, but so that we can set our mind on things above, so that we can be more connected with the One who has rescued us. God, would we give ourselves grace where we fail in these ways and would know that we have a loving, pursuing God. God, when we get moments with you, would we savor them and celebrate them and soak in them? And God, would then we take that into our days and our lives and our situations that are both good and right? Lord, would we be a people who would live with our eyes set on heavenly things but living very much in an earthly realm. In Jesus' name, amen.